All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What a Steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air, let's go. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, episode 231. And folks, it is a big one, not only because we have Harmon Dial in studio, 
Well, because Quads is about to give us uh, the intro and talk about uh, the sponsors, because you know I don't like doing this off the top, but somebody was washing their hands, taking a piss. I actually didn't wash stuff. my hands just to save time. You didn't wash your hands. I'm, Great. I'm joking. I'm joking. Of course I wash my hands. All right. Do your thing. Do your thing here. Oh, I'm just going in. All right. Well, this is the Canucks Conversation Podcast presented by... Zephyr Epic, you can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season at ZephyrEpic.com. That will get you $5 off your order at Zephyr Epic, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic on all platforms. Folks, they've got a retail location in Surrey. You can still use that promo code. Walk up there, tell them Canucks Convo sent you. Tell them you're using promo code Hockey Season. That will get you $5 off your order. So go check that out. They also ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50 from... All the way from the mountains of Whistler to the Valley of Windsor. Excellent. Whistler, Windsor, Zephyr Epic ships free. So go check them out. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms. Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Go give them a follow. We are also delivered to you by the great folks at DoorDash. Use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital D's, all one word, CONVODD. And that will get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not get much better than that, folks. My name is David Guadrelli. I'm joined, as always, by the man who built the place, Chris Faber, and Harmon Dial joining us in studio. We are going to be joined today, fellas, by former Vancouver Canucks AGM Chris Gear, along with North Burnaby legend. Don Taylor. Legend. Do you know Capital that L. Windsor, Ontario. Mm. What I know about Windsor, all that's in Windsor apparently, it's an OHL team, a bunch of, of big factories, and a couple of steel mills. That's all I know that's going on over there. I was playing a game with my friend recently where we randomly went to a BC town, like we would zoom in and on Google Maps, and tried to guess if there was a Boston Pizza, an A&W, a Tim Hortons, or all three. How many of those are in each Canadian city, like small town city? We were going to be very good. high. I was pretty good. Like a lot of them, I found out usually will have an A and W and a Tim Hortons, but not a Boston pizza. Mm. Or they'll have just a, a Boston pizza, and that's it. And they won't have the Tims or the A and W, which was crazy to me. What's uh What's Travis Green's hometown again? Castlegar. Castlegar. That they got all three. I remember right across when yep. we stayed there for a union thing. Boston Pizza, and I've t- said this before, a bunch of green jerseys in the Boston Pizza there. And then uh, Tim Horton's right beside the hotel, and then A&W right beside that. I remember hitting all three. There you go. Wow. Good stuff. What a, what a hot start. And also, I just wanted to kind of say, because I just this just kind of occurred to me when we were driving into the studio today, there are probably going to be new listeners, first-time listeners of the show. We are expecting people that haven't listened to us before to give this episode a shot because... You know, Chris Gear's a big guest. Obviously, Donnie T's uh, in his own right, a big guest as well. So let's do a little icebreaker. Everybody knows me, I hope. Dave Quadrelli. Pe- more people know you, unfortunately, more and Harmon. Uh, <laughs> so we, we all, you know, we kind of came together. Why don't you together. give us your life story, Quads, since people don't know who you are? <laughs> we came together, <laughs> and it was, uh, it was a long time ago. How long have you and I been doing the show together now? I don't know. Uh, Hot start. January 2021. January 2021 was when you and I joined. For, no, 2020. Because then, yeah, remember? And then Rudy Gobert got COVID. Yeah, Not 2021. Right. We've been doing this for a while now. We've been together almost two years. Well, we've been together on a wild. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely wild. And then Harmon obviously joining us in, what, September? October? Yeah, going into this season. Castle Fun Park. Oh, I miss Castle Fun Park, guys. It is sad. We, we filmed our first video there. It was a lot of fun. Very unfortunate. What's happened to Castle Fun Park? Yeah, they had, there was a bunch of uh, Abbotsford Canucks players living there at the time too, with the flooding. 
had to get awesome. him out of there. Tough, tough. It's too bad. The video. I wonder if they. How, how do you recover? Because all everything's got to be crushed. Do they say that Castle Fun Park's never going to be open again? Right. That's something that we've heard. I don't Do we know. have an update? I don't know. I don't we had, know. We had such a good time. I, I was taking pictures of you two playing games together. <laughs> Felt like the dad taking the taking the kids out for a big weekend <laughs> that week. That was a good one. Hey, quickly on DoorDash, got uh, you know what I picked up yesterday? Mm. A little Popeyes uh, Wicked Shrimp. It was okay. And I had the Popeye sandwich on the side because, you know, the Popeye sandwich good. Harmon's tried it. Had it for the first time when I brought him out to Abbotsford, too. Legit the best fast food burger you can find. Yeah, I'm going to have to try it. I'm you haven't have had it yet, either? I haven't. I am not. Come on, man. The Chicken Sandwich Wars is like a year old. I know. And the I'll Popeye's is at the top of it, for sure. I'll get out there. It's right across the highway from, from the Abbotsford Center, too. I think it was really close, wasn't it? Yeah, it was close. Yeah. There's also one in Poco, which is a little closer. There you go. Me. Probably end up uh, in Poco. Okay, before we get to Chris Gear. I think we should touch on a few things Vancouver Canucks related before we get to gear because obviously uh, just with him being a recent employee of the Canucks, you can't ask him too much about the current team and like, oh, should they trade GT Miller? Like, what do you think? Can't ask him questions like that. That's just kind of how it works. Uh, we will be talking Chris Gear. We're very excited for it. Uh, kind of pick his brain apart a little bit and kind of how processes work and all that sort of thing. Um, but the one thing we should talk about is kind of this Eastern road trip because guys, it was the road trip from hell. Actually turned out to be Quite successful. Yeah, on the backs of leading scorer Tyler Mott come out of the road trip with two wins, which was great in the way they closed it out. It feels like there's actually some momentum probably behind this Canucks team after looking like they could have won a couple of those first two games in Florida, actually getting two wins to end the road trip. And let's not forget, like I, I think the you know, people saw the win on Tuesday night and they thought, you know, it was a good performance by the Canucks, missing two of their top six players in Connor Garland and their captain, Bo Horvat. I don't think people are looking at that win against Nashville and thinking that it was actually that big of a deal, but I really think of it as a big deal. I know Nashville is on the second of back-to-back, but to be under what the Canucks have done to finish their road trip like that with their fifth game, without their captain, without one of their players who really is just like the best driver of offense in Connor Garland, there were some really good performances from some players in that final game of the road trip. And I, I really enjoyed watching that game, specifically that second period. For sure. And in fairness now, I, I think Nashville is also missing Matias Ekholm and, mm. um, and Dante Fabro. So their blue line was not very good, to put, it, similar to put to it the nicely. Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a nice way of putting it. But um, yeah, it was, I think, a... Much needed opportunity opportunity to salvage the road trip two three and zero. I think I think the the team going into that would have taken that, especially with the way they were playing. Not just the record, the fact that they hung in um, every single one of those games against elite competition. I think internally the organization would have or it would be happy would have been happy with that outcome if you said this is how the road trip's going to go. Especially, I think this is the biggest part too now moving forward is. Elias Pedersen's come back alive. And to see him play in that second period on that line with Hoglander and Pod Colson, the way he was so much more decisive with his passing, no hesitation, the way he was stick handling in tight, and just he had that decisiveness back in his game. Man, that was really, really special to watch. And I think that's really important for the Canucks down the stretch because they've managed most of what they have under Bruce Boudreaux with Elias Pettersson not even playing close to his potential. And and that means if he can really build confidence and momentum from this, and obviously it's only two games, so he'll have to sustain this. He'll have to prove that it that he can sort of continue building on what he showed in the last couple of games against Washington and Nashville. 
But if you can do that, that would be a massive boost for this Canucks team, especially at a time right now, guys, where the Edmonton Oilers are, are, are in a total state of turmoil. And it's pretty amazing to think. Did I think, did the Canucks pass... Yeah, they passed the Oilers in, in points, and obviously Edmonton has some games in hand, but that's remarkable considering on December 1st, I think Edmonton led the NHL in points percentage, and, <laughs> yeah. we, and we know where the Canucks were. So that's honestly a very astonishing turnaround, and then Anaheim's fading as well. Anaheim, they're, they're not for—I don't think they're for real— and they've been sort of missing guys in COVID protocol. They've been losing games. So I never I never thought in December when Travis Green was coaching that we, we'd be talking about the Canucks having a legit shot at the playoffs. But this is they've got a real outside chance now, like a real one, especially now that they're building a bit of momentum. If they can especially get Pedersen to continue his form as, uh, as a game breaker. I think what we're seeing, what we were hoping for was like a door to open for the Canucks to have a path to the playoffs. But you mentioned it like multiple doors are now opening for how the Canucks can get in. Like the only team that's really, I think, still surprising a lot in the Pacific Division in a positive way is the L.A. Kings. Like the L.A. Kings sitting second in the Pacific, I believe, right now. That's still a little bit shocking. But that was a team that I think everyone in the back of their mind at the start of the season was like, the Kings might be able to take that step this year. They have a lot of really talented players. But you, you got things back from Thatcher Demko in the end of the trip, which was huge. He had a great game against Nashville. Uh, but for me and, and Pedersen, the thing you talked about quickly there was like the wingers that he's playing with. I think that that's a spot where Pedersen, if li- listen, I don't think Pedersen's ever going to be a, a captain of the Vancouver Canucks, but I think he has to be a leader to a certain degree. And when you put the two 20 year olds on his wing, I think he needs to, I think he kind of just realized that like, I got to be the guy now here. I'm I, there's no one for me to lean on. There's no, you know, pro there's no veteran like Bo Horvat or Tanner Pearson or JT Miller. He's like, I'm the pro I'm the NHL player who's been around the league a few years. I need to show these kids how to do something. And to see the skill that the Hugliner and Pod Colson brought in the offensive zone, you mentioned harm. Like there was no hesitation from Pedersen anywhere for him to, whether it be take a shot, make a saucer pass, go find some, some, some open area in the slot Pedersen was doing all of that, and it looked like the old Pedersen that we've seen. And the best part, I think, about it was he was playing center on that line, too. And you're getting back to that point. So maybe moving forward, that's a line we want to continue to see because, gosh, that that second period, there was like only one shift that was spent in the Vancouver Canucks end when that line was on the ice. They were incredible for like four or five shifts in a row. And you know what was special was the movement. That's what I noticed was... And I think this is what, what what really hindered the Canucks in the early part of the season is they would be too static, right? It'd kind of be like they dump the puck in previously and retrieve it, just funnel pucks back to the point and take a bunch of point shots. But when that line was on the ice, and in credit to the defensemen that were playing with them, they were rotating down the ice as well, moving a lot off the puck. Most and of it was OEL and Myers, too. It was yeah. not Hughes at all, which was kind of shocking because that's a line... Like, Hughes was spending all the time out there with the Miller, Besser, Pearson line. Yeah, and so it was really... That was a complete five-man unit. It wasn't just that line that was going. They were able to sort of build some chemistry and involve everyone, and... When you include that kind of movement and all five guys are just darting on the ice as a defending team, it's so much harder to keep track of your keep track of your checks. And when guys are moving, that's when you have defensive breakdowns because defenders go, you know, there are a lot more switches that have to happen. Right. If if someone like Tyler Myers or or or, 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 or yell is coming down the half wall with or without the puck, there has to be a, a switch where 
maybe the winger was first covering him and, and now maybe the center or the defenseman has to sort of pick him up. And that's sort of the transition periods where um, you can have some of those big breakdowns and man, that was, that was almost Sedin like, or yeah. I, I don't know if for, if for a more recent example, you know, the type of dominating lotto, line, like, yeah, like mm-hmm. lotto line shifts, like that's what it looked like. And I haven't seen a Canucks line play as well as that just dominating the flow of playing the offensive zones for a really long time. So that was very, very fun to watch. One thing that I'll add that I liked about it was the three players in Pod Coles and Hugliner Pedersen, all European players. Something we see in European hockey a lot in the top professional leagues is having three guys up top. Like one of the forwards will join the yeah. defenseman and be a guy up top. So I think when you're talking about these rotations with OEL or Myers getting in deep, it's really fluent for the three European forwards to come back and be a guy at the point because that's something that they did in the KHL and the SHL. It's just something that they do in European hockey a lot more. So I think that addition of having two offensive defensemen like OEL and Tyler Myers really worked well with the three European players, the young guys. So I know quads, we got to get to, uh, we're going to get to Chris gear now in just a minute. So more Canucks talk. I know we want to spend a little bit more time about the fourth line, which might be now the third line, or maybe even the second line. We'll, we'll talk about the, the Lamico Mott Highmore line a little bit later on in the episode, but now let's get to our interview here with former Vancouver Canucks assistant general manager. Now contributor to daily Faceoff, Chris gear. All right, guys, very pleased to be joined now by the newest member of the Nation Network and of Daily Faceoff, former Vancouver Canucks assistant general manager, Chris Gear. How's it going, Chris? Excellent, guys. Thanks for having me, and I uh, look forward to working with all of you as part of the Daily Faceoff team. Yeah, we're very excited to have you aboard. It's a big free agent signing for us, so we're super excited to chat with you. Just kind of, you know, talk about, I guess, the last month and a half and kind of how all this came to fruition. Yeah, I, I don't know if I was a free agent signing or maybe a waiver claim. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know what? I was with the Canucks for 11 and a half years. It was it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, I'm 49 now, so that's almost a quarter of my life that I spent uh, at the organization. And you know, to work to work as a, a senior member of the leadership team and then as part of the hockey ops team uh, for for a number of those years it's kind of a dream come true for, for any kid in Canada that likes hockey. And so, you know, I just, um, I, I have a lot of great memories of my time there. And, you know, even though at the end, um, you know, a bit, a bit challenging and a bit surprising for me to, to have that happen. Um, you know, I have, I have no regrets and I have no, uh, ill feelings. It's, uh, you know, it was great to have been, been part of, uh, what we did at the Canucks. So since then, um, you know, you, you try to, over the holidays, I, I went back and visited my, my parents and my sister's family at Mont Tremblant. We did some skiing as a family and then uh, came back and just started to think about, okay, I've got to update my resume. I've got to brush up my LinkedIn and, you know, just, just start to think about what's next. And then, you know, Frank Cervelli reached out and I, I'd never had a conversation with Frank, but he, uh, I guess with, with Steve Greeley moving on to the stars, there was a, a vacancy, if you will. And, you know, Frank, Frank asked me to, to join the team. And at first I was, I was not sure about going over to the dark side and not really wanting to, to jump into anything too soon. But um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought it would be a neat opportunity. And, um, you know, it, it's not a full-time gig or anything. It's, it's fairly limited, just uh, contributing a few articles a week. But, um, 
I just thought, you know, try my hand at something new and who knows where it'll lead. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll actually like being in the media or maybe it's just something to add to my resume and, and move on to the next thing. So, uh, yeah, really excited to try it and, um, you know, hopefully it goes well. We do get free coffee on the dark side, uh, but that's about it. We don't get anything, <laughs> anything fancy aside from that. Uh, Chris, I wanted to ask, take it back a little bit here. I know we were joking a little bit uh, before we started recording here. So you went to school at Queens, uh, a great university over off, obviously over on the east side but uh, of the country. I got to ask about the football career, though, a little bit, because I saw you uh, in a match. You scored the, one of the big touchdowns for Queens against McGill at the time. Where did your love of sports start and how did football become the one sport that you kind of went on to play? Obviously, you went to Queens University and I believe saw a team MVP one season. You had some pretty good years there at Queens as a receiver. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up playing every sport. Uh, grew up, you know, outside of Montreal uh, in Lennoxville where Bishop's University is. I, I played everything at high school. I played football, basketball, uh, hockey for the community, baseball for the community, track and field, you name it. And um, as I got older, I kind of, you know, settled in on football as the sport where maybe I excelled the most. Uh, I had a lot of speed in my younger days. You may not uh, think that now. I was, <laughs> you know, kind of sitting at a desk for 20 years will do that to you. But uh, but I, I was fast and I had good hands and agility. And um, so, yeah, football became the thing. And, and I uh, was recruited to play at Queens and I wanted to be, you know, close to home, but also far enough away from home. And, and Kingston was four hours away and kind of the perfect fit. So um, I did two degrees at Queens. I did my, my business degree and then my law degree, and I was able to play football throughout. Uh, coming from Quebec, I transferred right into second year and then redshirted that year. So I got uh, two years in my commerce degree and all three years of law. And uh, the last two years, I was um, Ontario-Quebec Conference All-Star. Uh, one of the top, I think, top five uh, in receiving yards in Canada, at least one of those years, and uh, Queen's MVP in 97. So it was, it was fantastic. Um, had a lot of fun. You know, playing a, playing a high-level varsity sport is, you know, probably some of the best times of your life and really enjoyed it. Um, thought about, you know, CFL aspirations for a little bit, but, but after having completed law school, I decided it was, you know, probably a better long-term option for me to just jump into the, into the work world. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's the story there, but I still, still love every sport. I follow, you know, NFL and MLB and NBA religiously as well as the NHL. So uh, always has been, will be a huge part of my life. Well, we're going to ask about some non-football questions, but I want to get one last one in here. When you secure a big deal, maybe what, maybe it was the Pedersen or the Hughes deals, were you doing touchdown celebrations like you did at your time at Queens? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think my my dancing skills uh, probably were a little toned down now. Uh, the the Queens one that you guys are referring to was uh, was some, I don't know if it was the icky shuffle or it was some <laughs> kind of crazy standard prime time. But uh, no, I mean it's it's obviously um, it's obviously great when you can negotiate a deal and. Uh, and, and be happy with the results. It's more of high fives around the office than any touchdowns. Oh, come on. Somebody's got to have a dance. It's not you. 
That was Travis. Travis Green. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Noted. Uh, I, I want to ask about when you joined the organization. I believe it was the 2010-11 season. I mean, I mean, I'm just curious. Like, what is a ride to the Stanley Cup playoffs like that when you're actually, you know, part of the organization? Because from the outside looking in, we see the ups and downs, and especially on a season like that, there's a lot of ups. But what is it like from the inside, just being able to, you know, get to that point of almost really reaching the ultimate goal as a hockey team? Yeah, that that 2010-11 year was just an outstanding experience. Um, you know, and I just come from. Of Van Ock, the 2010 Olympic Organizing Committee. So you had the the highs of the Olympic Games and the gold medal with Crosby scoring. And, you know, from there, I, I joined a Canucks team that was dominant that year in the regular season. You know, Hank and Danny were doing their thing. And, um, you know, it was just going through the, that that Chicago game when, when Burroughs scores the winner and plays the Dragon. And it's one of the, one of the highlights of my my life just to be in attendance at that and you know then the, the disappointment we had against boston like that that's something we'll never shake right it was we were so close to experiencing what everybody in the game wants to experience but you know that year was just unbelievable the energy around the office the you know just the highs that you experienced and then from a business standpoint things were humming uh you know we we didn't have to sell tickets. We we had we had um, waiting lists for tickets. You had sponsors knocking at the door, begging to give the organization money. Like it was, it was a really good experience for everyone. And um, you know, unfortunately, we didn't we didn't achieve the ultimate goal, but that didn't diminish how exciting it was to to go through the run. Hey, Chris, I know you can't talk a lot about specifics uh, about your time with the organization, but obviously on a more general note, uh, one of your kind of chief responsibilities as you grow in, grew into your AGM role was working on a lot of these uh, contract negotiations. I think uh, obviously the Pedersen Hughes ones, going back to Garland, Demko, um, on and on. What's it like negotiating these high-level NHL contracts? Because I don't know that a lot of people sort of have the knowledge of what that's kind of like behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because as a lawyer and and having worked as a lawyer for so many years, you work on, on contracts that, you know, they're really lengthy. Something like take, take the Rogers naming rights agreement. Like that's a, a lengthy agreement with lots of provisions and every word is almost individually negotiated. And then an NHL player contract. There's a there's a standard uh, players contract that is part of the CBA, and so really, unless it's you know unless there's entry level bonuses or or player movement rights, really all you're negotiating is term and money. Like mm-hmm. there's no wording really that you're you're dealing with. So it's um you know it really comes down to that crux of term and money, and you're looking at comparables around the league and, and trying to find out you know, where your players should fit in, in the realm of those comparables. And when you have, you know, the big star players, there's a lot of money at stake. And so both sides are usually pretty cautious, um, you know, and, and want to get it right. And so sometimes those can take a long time and they, there's protracted negotiations because everybody's cautious and often looking to see, you know, if there's if there are comparable players that haven't signed yet and they're in the same category, maybe you want to wait and see what happens with those players or, or maybe you want to get out ahead of it. So there, there's a strategy to, you know, when you try to get the deals done, but sometimes that's not in your control either. Cause maybe the agents are waiting for 
uh, deals to get done. Yeah, I was going to sort of ask, you mentioned obviously comparables drive um, sort of player valuations, but is it a little bit different when you do have obviously star level talents where there are less comparables and in that sense, sometimes it becomes more like the negotiation becomes more almost of an art than a science when you don't have a lot of comps. Does that sort of complicate things versus maybe more mid-level players? Yeah, I think it certainly does. And, and I think it's um, there's also a difference when, let's say you have a player like Tyler Mott. Um, you know, he's not going to be measured in goals and assists, right? There's so many other things that, that he is valued for. So the, the, the typical neg- negotiation where you're, sort of analyzing a player's main stats, uh, you know, those don't come into play. So you have to look at other other ways of evaluating a player and other other players that are comparable. So every negotiation is different, and you just have to sort of pick the measures that you think are going to be, uh, that will fairly assess your player, and then, and then do your best to try to, um, you know, get a favorable deal for the organization. Chris, we mean this in the most respectful way to all parties involved possible. But it's a question that gets tossed around the fan base quite a bit. What exactly did John Weisbrot do for the organization? <laughs> well, if I tell you that, it's going to destroy uh, one of one of Twitter's most famous questions and memes. <laughs> you know what? Um, John had a lot of people reporting to him, right? John had the uh, amateur scouting staff, which is you know almost 20 guys. Uh, the pro scouting staff, five or six guys. Uh, he had the um, human performance department, which is basically our, our strength and conditioning staff and our medical staff. So, you know, probably 40, 45 people reported to John and just dealing with their issues on a daily basis and making sure they were all set up for success. You know, that that, that takes a lot of work. Um, the other thing is that John was, was Jim's principal Founding board and principal advisor, and you know they would they would talk about players, and uh, John would provide his feedback or his analysis. And you know he's a he's a really smart guy. He's a thoughtful guy. He, um, you know, I think I think Jim really valued his his insight and his support. So, you know, I know it's it's funny for for Canucks Twitter, but you know John John was a valuable guy. So he's a man of many hats, not no hats, like a lot of people seem to think. Well, and, and the other thing is, you know, both with, with John and me and Jonathan Wall and, and others, you know, the organization doesn't doesn't profile us much or doesn't put mm-hmm. us out there, right? It was, yeah. you know, Jim Jim did the speaking for the group, so it's, you know, it's not it's not really uncommon that that some of us were unknown or what we did were was unknown. So um, I think some of that came with the territory and just the way the the Canucks, um, you know, chose to to dole out speaking roles and your role obviously grew throughout the years that you were there i'm curious what were some of the parts of your job with the canucks that maybe you didn't like or didn't think that you would like off the top but maybe kind of grew to enjoy or maybe some new parts of of the job as the agm that maybe there were something that you kind of found interest in uh that you maybe didn't really think you'd be that interested in early on um you know i don't i don't turn that around and say you know, there are some things that, that you do and they get monotonous over time. So you, you might like them at first and then they get, they get tired the more you do them. But, um, you know, generally speaking, I, I love every minute of it, right? It, there was, 
you know, whether you're working on, on contracts or whether we're, you know, strategizing the deadline or, or leading people or, um, you know, doing the stuff I did on the business side, you know, going through the acquisition of the, uh, the Peoria Riverman that became the Utica Comets that became Abbotsford or, or acquiring the, the NLL team, the Warriors. I mean, these are all things that I took great, great pride in and, um, you know, really, really enjoyed. And, and there are things that most people don't get a chance to do. So I, I felt, I felt pretty lucky, uh, all the way through. I got to ask about Abbotsford because like, obviously it's been a huge, I mean, it's, it's a strange time because obviously with COVID and everything that's gone out in Abbotsford with even the, the COVID situation they just had over the Christmas break here, it feels like that should be a massive success moving forward in the future. Chris, when was the first time that you really believed that moving the AHL team from Utica to Abbotsford was actually a possibility because it feels like an absolute home run uh, having the AHL team now just in the backyard. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, this year's challenging with, you know, the floods and COVID and everything. I think over time it will prove to be a really smashing success. Uh, the, the one thing I don't think people appreciate is that, you know, it wasn't necessarily a slam dunk because, you know, when you're, when you're on the East Coast, there's so many teams that are within a one-hour bus ride from the team. And so they were able to, mm-hmm. you know, play the game and be back in their beds that night and out practice the next morning. Whereas, you know, in the Pacific Division, it's, there's long flights. Um, the guys don't charter, so they're waiting in airports and they're on the bus. And, you know, it, it, that takes a toll on players. And then they're not in their beds that night. They're in hotel rooms. And, you know, so it's uh, – and they don't, they don't get to practice the next day because they're usually at an airport. So, you know, it, it's that whole question of, of development versus, you know, proximity. And the proximity helps the NHL team with call-ups and, and assignments. But, you know, it's, it's arguable whether it's, it's beneficial for the players who are developing. So mm-hmm. I, I think every team confronts that with where they locate their AHL team. And it was, it was no different for us. You know, every, every time the uh, Utica agreement was, was up, there was a discussion about whether it was the right time to try and find a different home. And, you know, ultimately um, it was felt that, that that time was, was last off season. I think speaking with some of the players, they don't hate the uh, California road trips too much, though. They s- seem to be liking that pretty good here, Chris. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, uh, with- California, yeah, because San Diego is uh, a little bit nicer than uh, some of those upstate New York towns, I guess. Yeah, and I, I've heard from the guys, on, they're saying they got hardwood floors on the buses that they're taking down there. I don't know if that's just the Cali lifestyle or not, but um, aside from that, uh, with really you know growing an ahl team from the floor up like you guys had an arena you needed so many players how difficult was that this offseason whether it just be the business side the player side i I know you were involved in a lot of the ahl team coming together here was that some of the hardest work you think you did over your time with the vancouver canucks yeah i mean i I worked hard (laughs) the whole time (laughs) but uh but no i mean it was that was a fun experience, right? I mean, we, we had, when we were in Utica, we ran the hockey operation, but not the business operation, right? So we had, we had contracted the business operation to Robert Esch's group. So we never had to think about selling tickets or, you know, sponsorships or marketing the team. It was really just, just running the day-to-day hockey operation. And, you know, obviously Ryan Johnson was, was the guy and, and he did a great job of that. And, and when we transitioned to Abbotsford, 
you know, that was, it was more of the same. Like, yes, we had to um, sign a lot of new players and sort of rebuild the hockey team, but, you know, it was still the same. We had most of the same coaching staff, you know, we brought Trent Cull over and, um, and Ryan Johnson was still in charge. So that, that was kind of seamless. The, the business, obviously we had to start from scratch and uh, we brought in Rob Maloney, who um, had been leading the Belleville Senators. And so, you know, he was a guy that, that knew how to run an AHL business and he was given the, the task of, of, you know, building out a ticketing plan and, and sponsorship plan and marketing and working to come up with the, the new logo and things like that. So, yeah, it was, you know, to, to build a team from scratch was, was incredible and um, everybody who, who worked on it, you know, deserves a ton of credit for, for getting that up and running. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Sedins. Obviously, they joined the organization toward the end of last season. Um, with their arrival, what can you just tell us about just them as hockey minds working for the organization and some of the things that they were that um, that you sort of noticed about them? And do you see them as potential future GMs in terms of just them having that skill set? Obviously, it'd be up to them if they wanted to do that down the line. But I think a lot of people in the market sort of look at the Sedins and say they could be groomed to be future high level executives. Do you see that in them? Yeah, for sure I do. I mean, those are those are two excuse me <clears throat> those are two incredible people um high character highly intelligent uh, humble um collaborative you know they have all the tools that would be necessary for them to succeed um you know they they obviously spent the part of this year when i was there trying to absorb and learn and you know they would they would ask the right questions they would they would contribute uh, when they had opinions, so they weren't they weren't shy about doing that. Um, but mostly, you could tell that they were they were humble enough to know you know what they knew and what they didn't know, and that they they wanted to learn and and grow as as executives. And I, I think the sky's the limit for those guys if they want to they want to do it. And I've seen a lot of involvement from the Sedins out in Abbotsford. Obviously, seen you out there a few times as well. Do you think that was kind of a good landing spot for them to start? It seems like the players that I speak to who you know were able to just deal with the Sedins, it was almost like yeah, you know, it was like they were talking to someone at such a higher level of hockey that that they were able to kind of learn a lot from guys who have done such things at the NHL. It, it seems really beneficial for some of these guys at the AHL that have NHL potential. Did you kind of just see them having a good starting spot with all the work they did out in Abbotsford? Yeah, I think that was a really good opportunity for them, right? Because we were, uh, it was a new NHL or AHL situation and something that they could sink their teeth into and, and have, you know, along with RJ, this, this group of players that was, was kind of brand new and in a new situation and would be looking for that guidance and that leadership. And, you know, who better to look to than, you know, two of the best players in the history of the league, right? So, uh, I think the timing was great for them, and I think they they grabbed onto it, and um, and, and it was a great fit for everyone. Oh, Chris, just before we wrap up here, I just want to ask you, just as a whole, when you look back on your time with the Canucks, what what are you most proud of? Um, you know, I'm proud of a lot, but um, you know, I think just the way that I treated people, the way that I conducted myself um you know i tried to be tried to be honest and fair and hardworking, 
And, you know, the, the outpouring that I got, um, you know, a month ago when, when my time ended there, I think, I think validated that I got, God, I want to say, you know, 400 messages between text and email and LinkedIn and, um, just, just people that, that wanted to reach out and say they appreciated working with me or, you know, how they felt. So it, that, that's, that's what I'm most proud of is I think the, the, the legacy I left with the people I worked with, the people I worked against, the people that, um, that I had anything to do with. So, um, you know, a lot of great moments, a lot of accomplishments and agreements that were, that were signed, not only player agreements. I mean, I, you know, the, the RFA deals with kind of the Canucks core right now, but also business deals and, um, you know, sponsorship agreements and intellectual property rights. I mean, there's, there's lots of things that I was able to do that I, that I feel really good about. And, um, so yeah, again, no, uh, definitely no regrets and no hard feelings. And it was, um, it was a great period of my life. And, and now, uh, daily face-off gives me, uh, you know, a little bit of a dipping my toe into another arena and we'll see, we'll see how media goes for me. And, um, you know, if, if media is not the answer, then, then hopefully the next thing, uh, comes along for me. But, um, but it's been a great ride. I mean, to, to work in, you know, for the Olympic organizing committee for almost six years and then the Canucks for almost 12, uh, in a city that I call home and that I love. I mean, it's, it's been a pretty, pretty dream ride for me. So, uh, wherever it goes from here, I've, uh, I'm already, I can already count my blessings. Absolutely. You're going to have to be careful if Quads is uh, editing any of your articles. He took out three Daft Punk references from me because he didn't know who Daft Punk was in my <laughs> article. So I'm a little pissed off about that. But Chris, I had I had one final one from me here before we wrap up with you. Uh, I'm just curious about with the salary cap, is it really just like a daily thing or is it sort of week to week meetings? Like, is it really a daily thing that you're kind of evaluating the sal- salary cap and seeing what you're moving forward with it? It certainly can be a daily thing if you've got if, if you're living close to the line or, or in LTI and you've got players getting injured and you know you need to figure out if the guy you're recalling uh, puts you in in jeopardy of, of exceeding the cap, right? So um, you know I think if you're if you're well under the cap or if you're well into LTI, maybe you're not looking at it daily, but uh, you know certainly if you're if you're in that precarious spot in and around the the, the cap threshold, then, you know, for sure you're looking at it with every transaction that you're doing and making sure that you can, you can fit it in. I mean, there were times when, you know, and Jonathan Wall, who I think is one of the best guys in the business at sort of managing the, the day-to-day cap situation. And, you know, he would tell us, um, you know, we don't have enough room to call up Di Pietro because of his bonuses. So if we have a goalie injury, it's going to be one of the other guys. And, you know, that's, that's kind of sobering, right? Cause you, um, you know, the, the choice you make on a call up may not be just who's playing the best of the time. It may, it may be, you know, what, what the cap situation is. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of, you know, day to day monitoring that goes into it. And then, you know, my, as, as the guy trying to do the contract at the end of the year, my, my focus was more on, um, you know, the, the overall structuring of the, of the cap and trying to get contracts, um, you know, to, to fall into a structure that we could, we could work with and, and be efficient. Um, whereas Jonathan was, you know, sort of day to day managing the transactions. And, uh, again, I think, think he did a great job. And, you know, overall, I'm again proud of, proud of the team we had and, and what we did, even though ultimately, uh, it didn't work out. You know, and, and change, 
change was change is something that happens in the NHL. And, you know, I, I thought the other day about how, um, you know, sometimes my wife just wants a new chair and I say, why we've got a perfectly good chair. She says, well, I, there's a new cool color, you know, forest green is really in these days. So I want a new chair. And, you know, so sometimes it's, it's changed just for the sake of change. And, you know, I hope it works out for the team. Uh, I really do. I, I have a lot of friends at the organization still. And, you know, I, I got to know a bunch of the players. I mean, so I really, really uh, wish the best for them and hope they can, can get into the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great time and hopefully continued success for the organization. Absolutely. And uh, we're excited to have you here at Daily Faceoff and the Nation Network and everything. I'm wondering, are they going to schedule a new photo shoot for you? Or are we just going to see that uh, that sniper shot of yours everywhere? <laughs> oh, man. I am so tired of seeing that shot of me in a suit with a hockey stick and gloves. But, uh, yeah, I, I was saying to you guys, it's, it's both the blessing and the curse of, of not having too much exposure in the market. I'm stuck with those images for now. So, if uh, if Frank wants to put the bill to get some new photos, I'm all in. Which one's worse, the one of you shooting or the one with you kind of doing like the draft photo, holding the stick on your chin there? Which one do you think's the worst one? I think, I think the one shooting is awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because that's the one that's getting used so much right now. <laughs> Only one we have at Canucks Army. I know. Although, although you know that was quite a clapper. If, if, <laughs> if there was a real puck there, that was going to be a big time clap shot. Awesome. Well, Chris, we appreciate you taking some time uh, to join us here today. And and I was happy to give you and the scouting staff uh, some Pod Colson insight from what I hear. Uh, my early KHL mornings weren't being missed, were they? No, favor you do a great job. I was. Uh, I think all of us would would uh, check Twitter to see what Pod Colson did in Russia because you were definitely the guy that uh, that had him covered for us. So appreciate that. Yeah coverage for free that's that's what we do here <laughs> but chris we really appreciate it man we're excited to see uh you know you bring in bring your insight uh to daily face off and and see what's uh i know you got some fun articles planned moving forward here we're excited to see what you uh cook up here all right well thank you guys i look forward to it and uh appreciate the time today cheers thank you and a massive thank you to chris gear for joining us fellas it was a fun time chatting with gearsy gearsy we get to call him now because we work with him it's exciting. Yeah. I, I tell you what, haven't met a, a, if your name is Chris and it's spelled C-H-R-I-S, haven't met a bad one. If it's spelled C-R-I-S or K-R-I-S. Chris Letang. Uh, I don't know. But if it's a C-H-R-I-S, hard to find a bad Chris out there, I'll yeah. tell you. You're right. You're bang on, actually. I, I haven't met a bad Chris with the C-H. Mm-hmm. I haven't either. Chris Bryant's really nice, and he's with a K. So there's exceptions to the rule, obviously. Chris Jenner, she's got, or what is it, K or C? Yeah, I think it's K. I don't think, she's not a great person. Is she a good person? I don't know. I I don't know. I haven't been keeping up with the Kardashians, you could say. It's like trying to figure out if Stephanie McMahon and Triple H are good people based on what they do on TV. Are they actually married? Yes, they are. Hmm. And I think they're, like, pretty decent people. I don't know. They're also, like, in the McMahon family, so I don't know. Yeah, they're probably not a great people. Well, hey, maybe they are. <laughs> maybe they are. Maybe we they don't are. know. We're not trying to get a hey, libel going case back from to the gear, the Chris Gear conversation we just had. I thought there's obviously things we couldn't ask about, right? Like but, we didn't want to yeah. ask a lot of things, but I felt like we did. I felt like there's some good stuff there. I just, I'm sorry, but like the answer about what John was about John <laughs> so Wisebrod. Glad I got to ask that. What a great response as like the first the first response from chris is is just laughter that's what i loved about it well that made me think because guys he said like he even brought up he's like well now i'm gonna 
answer the age-old question on Canucks Twitter. Like, that's what he said. So that means Weisbrod knows about it. Like, Weisbrod knows that the fan base knew that, not knew, but thought that he did, like, nothing for the organization. All all these guys within the organization, I think, the the impression I have, are a lot more active on Twitter and, like, know what's up than I think fans realize. And so anything that's, like, a big Canucks Twitter meme or just, like, a narrative or a storyline or whatever, it's someone within the front office is probably aware of it and if it's if it's good enough it's probably spread around and uh and yeah just to follow up quickly on, on what um Faber was saying because I know a lot of people would be like why didn't you ask about the Pedersen Hughes contracts or or about Benning or or just about regrets and, and things like that I mean I'm sure we would have loved to I had a lot of questions lined up about even just like what happened in the 2020 offseason when they lost a lot of their players or going long term versus short term on Pedersen but obviously with the way like when you're working at that high of a level you kind of sign certain things and and you can't speak about certain topics so um we were kind of limited by those parameters but i still feel like we got we got some good stuff and i sort of found it interesting too i think my in addition to the wise broad stuff i think my favorite part too was just him kind of talking a little bit about the sedines and how like he sees potential future gm potential in them if that's what they want so yeah and i know something that's exciting too is like we weren't really sure what the line was that we couldn't cross, but I think the interesting thing is the fact that he's joined us now and, and something we talked about off air yesterday when it was announced that Chris Gear was joining us was that, you know, he was saying that he wanted to work on some things with me at Canucks Army to kind of look back at some stuff. So maybe we get to explore some things like mm-hmm. that down the road at Canucks Army, which is exciting. Like I'm jacked up that Chris Gear is working, you know, in the same, you know, father company as us. I'm I'm really excited for that to to have my DFO because I think he's he's a bright mind. Um I think that one of the interesting answers for me was like when he said that when he mentioned like a lot of the bright minds that didn't get to get, didn't really have a chance to have their voices heard. Like he, when he said that Jim Benning spoke for all of them, like, you know, we all wanted to say like, maybe that's not the best guy to speak uh, on all of you, because I think that in that conversation, you could hear a lot of things that Chris talked about, whether it be salary cap or talking about moving the AHL team and how difficult that was, or just the day-to-day things smart mind and a guy who could definitely hold a good conversation it is kind of funny that you know the guys that the guy that spoke for him was jim benning who obviously yeah. is not the best public speaker and just to clarify what he meant because when you said it kind of he, what he meant was like they don't speak publicly like the agms and everything yeah. don't speak publicly and they obviously didn't have a president at the time so that's what he meant he didn't mean like their voices were silenced in the organization. No. That's not what he was dropping. He just didn't hear from them. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what he meant. So, again, big thank you to Chris Gear. Uh, I think, guys, we got a chat with a Vancouver legend now, Don Taylor. So we'll just cut right to that, I guess. Sure. Let's run some ads first. We didn't... Uh, oh, yeah. We have ads, ads on this episode. So here's some ads, some words from our sponsors. Winter is quickly approaching, but Wait. That means your favorite seasonal brew is back to cheer you up. The Tukes of Hazard is now available across British Columbia and Alberta in their government and private liquor stores. This extra strong brew has a whopping 9.2% alcohol, big hop punch, even bigger body and aroma, and just a touch of white haze. The Parallel 49 fan favorite is smoother than a freshly cleaned ice rink. And a big thank you to our sponsors for supporting the Canucks conversation. Let's get to our next guest here. It's been a long time on the Canucks conversation since we've had two guests. A couple of big ones this week is Don Taylor. 
of Donnie and Dolly joins us. Donnie, you got all your Burnaby talk out with quads in the pre pregame here. Are we going to talk more Burnaby? What's going on? Whatever you guys want, whatever you guys want. I can talk Confederation Park. I could talk Alpha Senior Secondary. Yes. Uh, I could talk Helens. Actually, I can't talk Helens. I saw the sign a lot. I never went in there as a kid, but I can, whatever you want to do. I, I, but hockey's fine too. What was Helens? Because I see the sign. It's still in the Heights. But yeah. what was Helens? What kind of store was it? Well, it was. You know, here's why I, was, I never went in it. I, I only found out fairly recently after seeing the sign all my life that it was a baby clothing store. It was a kids' clothes store. So there was no reason, no reason for me to go uh, to go in it. But it was kind of a cool sign. And now they changed the lettering so it says Heights instead of Helens. But the sign is still there. Yeah. And. Um, I don't even think whatever the store is that took it over, I don't think it's there either. But I saw it all my life. It was kids' clothing. Wow. Strangely enough. How about that? We're talking with a former – we just spoke to the former AGM of the Vancouver Canucks about some in-depth things. Now we're talking about baby clothing in in Burnaby. Great great (laughs) sort of transition here. Donnie, I I want to get your thoughts on this road trip that we just saw wrapped up here for the Vancouver Canucks. End up coming out of it. And closing it out with two wins. Do you look at that as a success now, looking at this road trip? I'll let the people who watch our show talk. Uh, we did a poll today on um, on Wednesday, uh, and it was it's two and three, something to this effect. You know, it, would you consider two, uh, three, uh, and oh, uh, uh, not a successful road trip, but ex- an acceptable road trip was 91%. Hmm. People saying yes. They thought that it, it was acceptable. And I think there's recency bias, bias there as well. I had it gone the other way around. Maybe they win their first two games, lose their first, uh, uh, last three. It might have been different. But I, I think a lot of that had to do with, first of all, the 10-day break. So there was that. There's the quality of opposition, which was very, very high. I believe Nashville wasn't slumping at the time they started that road trip. So they were taking on five of the top seven teams at the time uh, going into that uh, road trip. There was the situation with uh, COVID and, and, and protocol and all of that. And the fact that in that last game, they were missing Horvat and Garland just found out about Horvat not long before a puck drop. So I think when you take all those uh, factors into consideration, plus the pressure, and people don't talk much about this, plus the pressure of knowing that Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford right off the bat, first press conference said, that's where I'm really going to be doing my evaluating. I think when you take all that into consideration, you know, getting two out of five wins is, isn't bad. So I would say it was certainly an acceptable record in that trip. I'll tell you, if Jim Rutherford was doing his evaluating on this trip, that fourth line that's become the third line and potentially might be the yeah. second line next week uh, with Yuho Lamico, Tyler Mott, and Matthew Highmore, what is it about that line that, that works, Donnie? I mean, lots of energy. It, it just seems like it's not a lot of skill there, but they're kind of they kind of have like backdoor skill, kind of a sneaky little you know, speed and still combination from a fourth line. What are you liking from that trio right now? Well, they can skate and they can skate, they can move. There's some, there's some energy there. So that's, that's, that's pretty important. And um, when you look at their fourth line over the last few years, and like you said, yesterday was the third line because of the protocol situation. There wasn't necessarily a whole lot of speed. And I think that's one thing maybe you should ask from your bottom six or certainly your fourth line to provide energy. Mm. So those guys have that. And uh, it's not like the old days when you'd have your enforcer or maybe an enforcer or two on your fourth line. It's completely different. Speed is really important. Uh, Puck possession, that sort of thing. And uh, just keeping the the opposition to the outside. 
Uh, Lamico is interesting because uh, you can say what you want about him, but if you throw him in with Noah Jolson, who you know may or may not play a game uh, for the Canucks, you know that was that wasn't a bad deal looking at it right now. <laughs> and I know you Levy got 17 minutes against the Panthers when they played him, but uh, that 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 deal seems to be working out, even though the person who made it is is now gone, and uh, and uh, it seems like Boudreaux really likes him too. So. Uh, interesting with that line. I thought they were really good during that trip. Does Ollie Levy get a tribute video when the Panthers are in town next week? <laughs> I'm not sure, but guys, what do you think? Luke Shen got the tribute video in Tampa, <laughs> and I mean, I, I, we all love Luke Shen. I think he's what a story now being able to bounce back from being a high draft pick, being set down to the minors, resurrecting his career, and winning a couple of Stanley Cups, but. I was wondering if even Luke thought, you know, really a tribute video? Because you look at his games played in those postseasons, he didn't play a whole lot, and he gets a tribute video. And it was like, okay, like definitely I would, you know, I, I, I have all the respect in the world for everything, but man, isn't that saved for like somebody who was there for a long time who was a star? Uh, you know, so I, I I wasn't so sure about that. It's, it's the, the whole tribute video, the whole tribute video uh, situation is interesting. It's going to get to the point where I think somebody's going to pull a fast one or just for a joke, have a tribute video <laughs> for a player who played two or three games. It would be kind of funny. Well, I think the um, the best video tribute is still up on uh, up up on the schedule Arizona still hasn't come to town we got uh, a threesome oh, oh, yeah. of Louie and uh, Antoine Roussel and, and Jay Beagle I'm sure that'll that'll uh, provide a lot of meme material for Twitter um Donnie I wanted no. to ask you about um Elias Pettersson obviously this last couple of games against Washington and Nashville he was kind of able to break out a little bit but before that there was obviously a lot of heat on him a lot of pressure um what was I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit. Obviously, early in their career, the Sedins uh, didn't fulfill their potential right away, and, and obviously they're not similar situ- situations in terms of on ice performance and production. But I just kind of wanted to gauge your perspective on you know the the topic of the pressure on Pedersen has kind of been um, discussed a lot. How were the Sedins sort of perceived from your recollection during their early career? And is there anything we can learn from how the Sedins handled that and how they were treated and apply that maybe to what Pedersen's been going through right now with his struggles? I, I don't want to say that the Sedins had it easier than Pedersen, but first of all, there was two of them. So, you know, you had, you know, misery loves company and I'm not saying it was all miserable at the start, but also, I think one of the best things that may have happened to the Sedins, and I don't know if you guys remember this or if you heard about it, when they first got drafted and, uh, and, and you know, second and third overall, there were expectations. And then along came the first time people saw them. And the immediate thought was, they're, they're not great skaters. And at, at that point, the expectations went down a bit. So you couple that with um, the fact that Naslin, Morrison, and Bertuzzi were carrying the weight of most of the expectations. Mm-hmm. The Sedins, I think, had it easier. And again, nothing's easy in the NHL. I, I get that. But, but they had it easier in that I think uh, right out of the chute, the expectations and the load on them was much greater, um, pardon me, much less than what Patterson has. 
Pedersen, you know, almost instantly was anointed a number one or at the very least a number two center with Horvat. So that that happened right off the bat. And the Sedins were locked into that number two position. I shouldn't say that. they weren't just one person. There was a number one center, a number two center, and a number two left wing. So they had that breaking in period that was, a, was I think, much longer and maybe a little easier uh, for them versus what Pedersen uh, has to deal with. So that, 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 that I think people forget about that. I'll always remember, and I, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm forgetting where their training camp was. It was overseas. I think it might have been in Sweden, that they, their first year. So it would have been, I believe, uh, 2000. And they, and the initial thought was their, their skating isn't great. And so their expectations uh, went down. And I think that actually helped them in a weird way. And, of course, their their ability to improve themselves and to push themselves is is legendary. So they had a bit of an advantage there from an expectation point of view and the fact there were two of them. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of curious to sort of ask about sort of what Pedersen has gone through in his career. And I think a lot of us have kind of been looking for comparable situations of other maybe top players that have had similar stretches and, and maybe how that's affected them, how they've bounced back or responded. Can you sort of, in all your time covering the league, think back to any similar situations where you've seen um, a player or, or any players that have gone through a similar stretch and um, what that was and what that was kind of like, maybe? Well, there's, there was, of course, like when I look at players right now, I think of Jeff Skinner, you know, great start, big contract, and his contract his, his career has gone downhill uh, uh, since then. Then you've got Nathan McKinnon, really good start, went downhill, signed a lesser contract and now he's he's exploded so it can ha- happen happen either way i guess one guy that i would think of when it comes to this sort of thing can you bounce back this had more to do with an injury than anything else but timo solani uh you know i'd say two-thirds into his career bad knee it looked like things were over then one of the lockouts happened he was able to recover it came back really really strong just when you thought things uh, things were done. I, I think, guys, if I'm going to go off on a left turn here for a second here, um, I think that what has happened here might be the best thing possible for Elias Pettersson. There's a cockiness about him, and, and and I and I admire that. And I think any player who makes it in the National Hockey League has to have a large abundance of confidence. But I think what's happened to him at the start of the season, where you know, I, I think it's pretty obvious that he has to get stronger. And especially, I think, in his, and everybody talks about his upper body. I think his legs have to get stronger. He fall, falls down a lot. This might be the best thing is in that I think there's an obvious area, and it's become obvious to him where he can improve. And that's, and that's in his strength, and, you know, uh, his skating would improve from there. So I'm wondering, especially when you see him bounce back like this and what he's capable of, at least the last two games, I think this might be the best thing that could happen to him long run. Yeah, I'm with you, Donnie, too, because when you come in and have that much success, you just, you know, kind of expect that moving forward, but there's still a lot that you need to work on every year. Do you think that that's going to kind of be the big bounce back in the off season? Or do you think that that could even happen this year? Like, is it going to take another full off season for Pedersen to get back to what he has been? Or are you, are you buying in what we've seen over the past couple of games here? Well, it's kind of hard to judge because the last two games have been pretty good. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is in terms of judging it, you're, you're talking about him playing left wing one game and playing center uh, the other. Uh, but I, I think the last game was the most promising because let, let's be honest here, long term he's probably going to be a center with the Canucks. 
Um, Horvat wasn't there. Garland wasn't there. So a lot more of the attention was placed on, on him. And he was playing with Hoaglander and uh, put Coles in. He was the senior on that in that line. And he really, really came through. So so that's that, that that's really, really good. Can he continue this improvement? I mean, he's an elite athlete. So definitely. But I, I would think long term, you're going to see more of this improvement as the as the years go by. We talked about that a little bit earlier in the episode about him being the senior guy on that line, which is wild to think about. But when you're playing with two 20-year-olds, like we're not expecting Pedersen to wear the C in the future for the Vancouver Canucks. But when you have two 20-year-olds on your wing, do you think he needs to be more of a leader in that type of situation? And that's kind of what we saw the other night, I felt like. I, You know, you say that he can't be a leader. And yeah, I, I totally uh, uh, agree with that. But could anybody really see, as we go back to the in the past again, can anybody really envision Henrik Sedin as a leader in the you know early 2000s? I mm. you know and just would never have believed that. And I thought he was just fabulous. Uh, you know the the choice was good right off the bat, and as as the years went by, he just was clearly the guy who who um, stirred the drink for the Canucks. So it, it it could be possible. I don't know how much Elias loves dealing with the media. He never, he never looks like a guy who's really having a good time doing that. Let's be honest, that's part of the job. So I, I could see that. Um, he certainly has a lot of respect. Everybody uh, respects him. I'm sure those two youngsters do. So I, uh, who knows what's possible but when it comes to these elite athletes. But it wouldn't shock me if he became captain uh, down the road, if he became comfortable with everything that comes with being a leader. Donnie, how do you how do you feel when these young bucks here, Harmon and Quads, are asking you to take you back to two thousand? Like, if you think about it, they wanted to hear about the early parts of the Sedins' career. These two weren't even born when the Sedins were drafted by the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm losing you. I'm losing the connection here. What did you, did you say? I'm just kidding. No, I, it, I, what do you think? If he can make me feel good, of course I'm old. I, I don't feel good about it. <laughs> No, at least they didn't ask me about 1970. Or I could even go back to the, before they were in the NHL. So at least you stuck around in the 2000s. So, so there, there is that. <laughs> so I thank you for that. You didn't go back too far. One of, uh, one of the guys I got to ask you about, um, that's kind of just like one of the biggest shockers. Quads has been the biggest supporter of Tyler Myers. I don't know what it is. It's just I think he stood by him one day and then fell in love with the height. But what is it about Tyler Myers this year that, that's working? Because, I mean, you look at the play that he's doing, even dropping the gloves the other night, just overall play in general, it feels like Tyler Myers is making a, a way bigger impact than we've seen over the past with the Vancouver Canucks. Well, I'm trying to think of the love story. Well, I think his numbers, and you guys can tell me about the deep stats early on. They, they might may have been better than um, what they'd been in the past when he was uh, with Vancouver. But I think maybe part of the reason, reason for the turnaround, I don't know what the timing was in terms of uh, the praise for him, but um, Boudreaux, right off the bat, somebody asked him which player on the Canucks has surprised you in a real positive way. And he said, my guy, and he didn't even hesitate. He said, my guy is Tyler Myers. Yeah. And maybe that's helped color people's opinion. The one thing with him is that um, – you know, sometimes maybe at the end of shifts he'll tire out, but you can't. You can never. You can never question his effort. I mean, he's out there a lot. He's out there on the PK. Sometimes, you know, in the past on the power play, you can never ever question his effort. It just seems with Tyler, and I have all the respect for him in the world. It just seems because of his size, he can look awkward out there at times. Even though he's a wonderful skater, every mistake he makes really stands out because he's so big. And for a big guy, usually you don't see a guy handle the puck as much that that size handle the puck like he does. Hal Gill did not handle the puck as much as, as Tyler Myers. Zidane Chara, 
maybe. But he has the puck a lot. And he, you know, and like any defenseman, he, he'll, he'll give it, cough it up once in a while. So he does tend to stand out. But I wonder if things changed when Boudreaux gave him that big compliment uh, right, out, right off the bat. And speaking of things changing for defensemen, what we've seen from Quinn Hughes this year, I mean, is it just night and day difference for you? Like, what are the things that, that are really standing out this year from Quinn Hughes? And, you know, we put up the points last year, but I think there was a lot of defensive deficiencies. But now what we're seeing from Quinn Hughes is like, man, he's making good stick checks. He's getting in on bodies. Like, there's, yeah. there's just such a different feel to the way that Quinn Hughes is playing. What are you seeing this year, Donnie, that's just really well, improved in Hughes' game? Winning battles. You know, you, you go to any minor hockey uh, practice, junior hockey practice, everybody does battle drills. It's so important. And he wins battles along the boards that he wasn't winning before. And not not by, you know, his his weight or his strength, just by being smart and using a stick uh, the, the way you should. But I didn't see that all the time. Um, the other thing that you really like about him is uh, how motivated uh, he was after what happened statistically last year, you know, heavily into the minuses uh, last year in terms of his plus minus stat. And he's talked openly about, about how much that pissed him off and that he, he worked uh, so hard to get, to get better. I couldn't believe it a couple of weeks ago. I, I can't remember. Uh, it was, I think it was just on Canucks TV on their, on their website. And he talked about how hard he worked at improving his skating. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, really? Like you worked hard and you're skating. I wanted to get my boys in there to see that because this guy's one of the great skaters in the world, and he's improved his skating. I think it helps him catch up to players. I helped. I think it, it helps him in terms of sturdiness along the boards. Whatever he did in the off season is tremendous, and it's getting to the point, guys, where you know Demko was great uh, last night. Pedersen looks like he's he's coming around. You mentioned that third slash fourth line. That's great. Quinn Hughes was fabulous, and it's getting to the point where we we're, we're taking it for granted. Mm. But he was really good last night, R- really really good. And I think uh, I'm not saying that we're taking it for granted, but sometimes you have to do a, a double take. Oh boy, look at his look at what he did. Look at look at his numbers, and um, it just there's a guy who seems to be at the top but wants to get better, and he's now winning battles, and he's sturdier, and it's really impressive. I think that's something that you mentioned, like taking Quinn Hughes for granted, perhaps, is I look at the all-star voting. We see Thatcher Demko be the one selected for the Vancouver Canucks. JT yeah. Miller is the last man in. I, I was a little surprised when I looked at the Vancouver Canucks and their all-star, who they might be sending this year. I thought Quinn Hughes was the lock. How did you kind of look at how the all-star selection went here? Yeah, you know what? Uh, maybe that that you're bang on there about Quinn Hughes being taken for granted, uh, uh, agreeing with what I just said. Uh, I, I, I just... Uh, I from day one that first game against the Kings, I've loved watching this guy play, and uh, I wonder if you know if you know if it was between Demko and Hughes and Miller, who who do you take? Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of the of the MVP, and I think it might be a case where most people this year would take Demko because this is his real real. I mean, there was the you know the bubble in Vegas and all that, but this is his real breakout year. But man, game in game out, and Miller's very good too. But man, I just. Uh, I just love the way Hughes plays. And, and guys, let me let me go back in the time machine for a second. Part of my opinion is colored by the fact that I've watched this team since 1970, and they haven't had a defenseman like that. He's he's already the best defenseman in history uh, in Canucks history. Now I don't know if that's saying much, and that's <laughs> all respect to Yurke Lume and, and, and Dave Babich and all Jeff Brown, all the great. Uh, defenseman they've had in the past, Sammy Salo, you, you name it. But this guy is something special. So 
Uh, my opinion is colored by that. No question about it. He is he is something else. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's so hard to pick because you mentioned like what Demko's done this year. Definitely worthy of an All Star. The other thing is like JT Miller top ten in scoring. It feels like that would be worthy of an All Star. Yeah. It's it's crazy to think that the way that the Canucks season started, we would have had three potential All Stars here uh, at the break. But we'll have to see how things shape out here. I know there's still yep. some time for adding players and everything. Donnie. We appreciate you taking some time uh, to join us here today, especially, you know, you were talking about these stick battles with Quinn Hughes. Did, did you have some of those with your kids before uh, getting in here, your practice, you were saying? Uh, I got, I'm, I'm coaching minor hockey. I took a puck and I wear a helmet, but I took a puck to the face mm. about a month ago. And I don't want to get any gory details here, but I got, I hit, my, no, I thought nothing to, uh, of it, swelling, bruising. And then over the course of time, it got infected. And I had to have a, a tooth dealt with. Mm. So so this is why I was a little bit late today uh, hooking up with you guys. So I apologize for that. And uh, uh, nothing serious, but it's I, I don't want to go through it again. That, uh, the kid that hit you in the face with the puck, how's he like in the fourth line? <laughs> he's now been cut, and uh, <laughs> he's in Abbotsford. <laughs> yeah. He'll make his AHL debut next week. Awesome. I can't wait to cover it. <laughs> Appreciate you taking the time, Donnie. It's a pleasure to always with you joining us here. Anytime, guys. Lots of fun. And a massive thank you to Don Taylor, Chris Gear for joining us on this episode. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So, folks, thank you so much for listening. If you're new around here, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Stick around. We're going to have a lot more fun stuff coming up. Might have a big episode on Friday, but stay tuned for that. For my co-host, Chris Faber and Harmon Dial, my name is David Guadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim?